0: We are in a uh, in the midst of a series I've started called "The Supernatural Ways of God," part six. And of course, you can um, find any of the first five on our website, Queen City Church, dot Church, and um, under media. So, take a look at those if you're if you're interested. So. I enjoy my preaching so much. I usually go back and listen to myself a couple times a week. (laughs) Pitiful, Now I should say in closing, right? That was it. Um, We've been focusing on this absolutely, uh, in some ways, crazy story of Moses who has an encounter with the Lord at the burning bush. So let's stop and pray. Lord, we just pray this morning that you would um, just open our eyes to see who you are in a way that encourages us and, Lord, strengthens us and helps us connect with you better and with other people, too. Lord, open our eyes. We want to see who you really are. I believe you've gotten a lot of bad press, Lord. I believe you've gotten a lot of bad press. So, Father, we do ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I had um, a little idea earlier in the week about name association. Let me ask you this question. If I said the word Carolina, what would you think? What, North, South, Panthers, Tar Heels, Barbecue Sauce. I think Blue Sky and Home. I've been done thinking about the Panthers this season. (laughs) Lord, we pray for the Panthers today. Lord, we have a Panther playing a bird. Eat him up. Come on. Amen, sort of. So, well, whatever. So this thing about word association, if um, let's say I said uh, uh, vacation, what would you say? Shout something out. Let me hear from you. Come on. Ocean. Relax. Not enough. Oh, suntan. Bucket list, okay, that's cool. What if I said, "God"? What would your first thing come up in your heart? See, the thing I wonder about is how many people, uh, when you when you say God, negative things come up in their heart, not positive things, because we all know. Father, Holy God, you know, yeah, yeah, we can say. But what really came up? Because one of the original problems mankind had was that the devil, the serpent in the garden, perverted and Eve's knowledge of God to a degree that they committed that sin that, from what I believe and what I see, got the whole world... In a mess, at least by participation. I don't know if that's my that's a little theological stuff right there, but what the enemy does is he tries to get us to think the wrong way about God. Even with Moses, and, and it makes me a little bit nervous when I, I talk about Moses, not because of the supernatural aspects. It's about what uh, between Moses and God did to Egypt through those plagues and stuff. That was rough. So when you're talking about a supernatural God and you look in the Old Testament and see that, it makes you sort of go, is God really like that? But when you look in the New Testament, the reason Jesus came, Jesus came to give a perfectly accurate picture of who God really is. And he did not do one destructive miracle, unlike Moses in the Old Testament, but... The Old Testament to me really reflects on many different levels the failure of mankind's ability to serve God on their terms. The Bible says the law works wrath. See, the purpose of the law was to show us how much we needed forgiveness, how much we needed mercy. But men are so messed up, they will take that very same law and actually be deluded enough to think they can live up to it. So when you see Jesus in the New Testament, you see the goodness of God. The goodness of God. In the New Testament, Jesus dies for people's sin. He takes their judgment upon himself. And it's just wonderful to see how much God really loves us. And see, if you can hear this down through the entire Old Testament and right up into the New, you have basically like a progressive revelation of who God is. And if you major in the Old Testament, you really come up with or can come up with a very perverted or a very skewed sense of who God really is. Bill Johnson says this way, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you ever have any question as to what the Father's like, you take a look at Jesus. And the only people Jesus seemed to have real problems with were self-righteous religious people. I got one little squeaky amen over there in the amen section. Two, is there, can I... I have to raffle. I'm going kind to of have to like, have to raffle off amens this morning, but it's okay. If I can't earn them, I don't want them. All right. So, let's go to Exodus. Oh man, I got this cool thing. I don't care what you're doing. I'm mess with this while. <laughs> Let's read this together Exodus 3 1 through 5. I just love this about God. You know, the thing about the Lord is he, he revealed himself to Moses in a way he had never revealed himself to anyone out of the clear blue. And then he had to tell Moses, I'm the God of your father, I'm the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And what he was saying was basically this. I revealed myself to your father in all those preceding generations differently in each generation. I mean, when was the first time God showed up in a burning bush? That doesn't even make any sense. It's it's really borderline ridiculous. We serve a God who revealed himself to a man... In a burning bush. And if he failed, two million people would continue to stay enslaved to be enslaved for 400 years. God will roll the dice. He knows how convincing he can be. Come on. So here's when we find this episode. Let's read it together. Why don't we stand up? Reading out loud means words come out of your mouth. Okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, let's go back there. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God did what? Called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Okay, you can you can grab a seat. The next verse in the text says I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their cry, and because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So, these are some of the most amazing verses of scripture to me they're just plump with insight and revelation, encouragement. Um yesterday afternoon I sat out on the patio and made a list of main points I want to make today. Not not even taking into account the subpoints or the sub-sub points. And I didn't get them all down, but I think I stopped at 15. And, of course, I'm not going not to go into all this. But um, I'm so thrilled. I'm just so thrilled that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush because it's so ridiculous. So ridiculous. The Lord sends Moses to Egypt. And he tells them... Go tell them that the God of their fathers has appeared to you. And so can you imagine? I'll talk about this because I just can't get over it. I talked about it some last week. Can you imagine the conflict that had to be going on in Moses' heart? He was going to try to convince the elders of Israel who had been slaves for 400 years. And apparently from everything we know, There had been very little divine activity in the nation for all those hundreds of years. He was going to convince them that they should pay attention to him because he met their God, their father's God, and their God in a burning bush and talked to him. The bush talked to Moses. Moses talked back to the bush. Can you imagine having that job description? I can't imagine that, but I just love it. And I'll tell you why I love it. Uh Uh-oh. I love it because of Deuteronomy 33, 13 through 16. And you're not even going to believe what this says, but that's why we have the Bible. We have the Bible because we really don't believe what God's really like or what he'll really do. We think he's normal and calm. No, that's you. That's not God. God's not normal. God's not calm. He is different from what we think. And the problem we have with God is he's the way he is, not the way we think he is. And when he shows up for the way he is, he usually scares who's ever there. Anyway, let's read this. Now this is Moses blessing the 12 tribes and when he comes to Joseph he's basically blessing Joseph and there's really no tribe of Joseph there're two half tribes Manassas and Ephraim Joseph's two sons it's earlier in the book of Genesis doesn't make any sense without reading all of it but here's what happens Moses says and of Joseph he said blessed of the Lord is his land let's read this together blessed of the Lord is his land With the precious things of heaven, we're good with that. With the dew and the deep lying beneath, yeah, we're good with that. With the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, we're good with that. With the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, we're good with that. With the precious things of the earth and its fullness, we're good with that. And the favor of him who. Now, we have a problem here. The word dwell means permanently reside. What's the implication? Here's the implication. God was not trying to figure out a way to save two million people. Hebrews with a last-minute plan of action, and so he sees Moses, and he thinks, well, Moses is the only guy that's not been a slave for the last 40 years. Maybe he'll think differently than those people who've been slaves for 400 years and have a slave mentality. I know what I'll do. Here he comes. I'm going to hop in this bush, and boom, I'm going to hop in this bush and like a pier and motivate him, and then when he turns around and leaves, I'm going to get out of this bush. No. The Bible tells us God had a permanent residence in that bush. Now, what does that mean to me and you? It means this to me and you. God has as a very high priority humility. It takes a lot of humility to talk to a bush. (laughs) There were people here earlier, Lord, I could have sworn. It takes a lot of humility for God to reveal himself that way. If you don't understand how important it is to have real humility, you're going to miss God on a wholesale level. And here's the problem. Moses was blessing Joseph... With the favor, the favor of the God who did what? Dwelt in the bush. Let that blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Now, the favor, the favor of God basically means this. If you have the favor of God, he will do something for you he won't do for you. How many of you appreciate that? You only appreciate that if you're the first you. Right? Favor. Say favor. Favor. What is favor? I may have a slide here. Let me see. Oh, I left this out. Talk about the humility of God. Luke 2.12. This will be the sign to you. Okay, God appears... In an earth shaking way, for the deliverance of two million slaves by appearing in a bush. But then, when the Messiah is born, is he born in a palace no he 's not even born in a nice house. There was no room for him in the inn, and you see all of these ideas about there being no room. All of these ideas about the God of the bush. All these ideas about this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. All of those ideas begin to show us what God is really like. That he's not arrogant when he has every right to be. That he is condescending when he doesn't have to be. That he is loving when his reputation says he's not loving. And so we see that here. This would be the sign to you. You find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. I think about this. There was no room for him in the inn. That to me is terrifying. What if you were an innkeeper and you had a shot at having the God of the universe born in your hotel and you didn't have a spot for him? What does that speak to you and me? It speaks this to me. We have to make room for God. God won't barge in. If God comes and knocks on your door and you say no, he'll turn around and go somewhere else. That is frightening. But that's the way he is. He will not barge into your life. He will come invited and appreciated, or he's not likely to come at all, although he's near, although he wants to. That is so significant. If you're going to have God in the way that you need him for the success of your life, for the meaningfulness of your life, for the benefit of your family, you are going to have to understand you make room for him. It's so important. Now, here's the wonderful thing. He will initiate primary contact. He will be in a burning bush to see what you have to say about it. But if you see the burning bush and you think, oh, wasn't no burning bush where my mama went to church, (laughs) then you you can't deliver two million people. Because God decided, I'm showing up in a bush. You can look down through the whole history of the Christian church. You can look at the Anabaptists. You can look at the Baptists. You can look at the Methodists. You can look at the Episcopalians. You can look at every single, the Presbyterians, my heritage. You can look at every single denomination. Now, I'm not prepared to tell you all those denominations are wrong. I am just prepared to tell you God will appear to different people in different ways, and he looks for a response. Old Pentecostal preacher, i heard from years ago, says God appreciates being appreciated. He's looking for relationship. We talk about relationship all the time. I'm going to tell you something. Human relationships are great, but they're not going to get you where you're going. They're important. They're essential. But they're not going what are you saying, Ron? I'm saying this. I've been in ministries where we swore devotion to one another. Guess what? The only one I know that I still spend time with sitting over there, Leonard. All my high school buddies, long gone. All my college buddies, but one, long gone. I've been in great churches, long gone. This church one day could be... So the essential connection you need to make is with the Lord. And then from that, other human relationships are essential. Don't misunderstand me, they're essential. But if we don't have that vital connection with God, those relationships will not be sustained. Those relationships will be uh, frustrating, not fulfilling. That's a good word right there. If you're not paying attention, you need to smack yourself lightly to the left cheek, left cheek, and say, "Okay, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening." Burning bush encounter, nothing like it. What is favor? Favor is to endure with special honor. Make accepted. Goodwill and the benefits that flow from these. Now, here's something wonderful. It was because of Moses' favor that Israel received favor. Now, we had a wonderful owner of this facility. He, he's an amazing person. I'm not going to tell you. He's a humble guy, doesn't want to be introduced, so he's come and gone from here before. You didn't know he was here, didn't introduce him. That was his choice. But through the providence of God that went back 20 years ago, I met the owner of this property and through a divine connection, if you will, you are now sitting inside my favor. You are recipients of part of my personal favor. If, if I had not stopped by that burning bush on that certain day, you Israelites would still be in bondage to going to something else and not here. I don't know how to make all those connections, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just stumbling my way through an awesome message that has great potential. (laughs) But you became recipients of my favor. Now, here's what God wants. He wants everyone we're associated with to have such amazing favor that we become beneficiaries and recipients of your favor. But let me read a couple of, a couple of uh verses to you. In Exodus 321. God is so tricky. Exodus 321, it says this. Moses says to to Israel, oh, the Lord says, I will give this people favor in the sight of Egyptians and it shall be when you go that you you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor Name of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you should put them on your sons and on your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. That's a crazy verse. But we find out in Exodus 12, that's exactly what happened. I mean, God pulled some Jedi mind trick on an entire nation. I'll explain that in a minute. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor, say that word again, favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they impoverished the Egyptians. Now that is a crazy, crazy, but everything up here is crazy this morning when it comes to Moses and what the Lord does. But here's what happened. They had worked for nothing, for nothing, for 400 years. And they had enriched a nation beyond imagination. And at a given point, the Lord determined, I'm going to do something about it. Here's what we're going to do. All of you slaves go to these Egyptians, these wealthy Egyptians, and say, would you please give me your finest clothing, all of your silver and all of your gold. And and any smart Egyptian would say of course not. But then they went, you will give me your gold and silver and your and your clothes. And they go, "Oh yes, I would I would love to give you all of my possessions." to enrich you and your children. Now, either the Bible's true or it's not. I'm one of those guys that says it is. It's awesome. Now, then there are those people that feel sorry for the Egyptians. Okay, help yourself, whatever. You know, there's always that guy. (laughs) Nevertheless, there's always that guy. But which guy do you want to be? I don't want to be the Egyptian, and I don't want to be the guy taking that Egyptian side who did impoverish people unrighteously for 400 years and stole the benefit of their labor for 400 years. Maybe there was some justice, that rare commodity called justice. Be still my heart. So, favor. Who wants favor? I want favor. Obviously. I want undeserved favor. It's a good definition for grace. I want the favor of the God who dwelt in the bush. Now, what does that mean to me? That means if I have to discover God a new way, and that's connected to that favor I'm in. I'm in. One of the problems, I love this, the history of revivals in the United States, every revival, First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, Third Great Awakening, then you had, you had Brownsville, you had the couple in Canada, you had the Jesus People Movement. But you had seasons these revivals where whenever God did something fresh and new, it was generally the people who had been in the last thing God did that resisted the new thing that God did. It's really sort of the history. I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. I want to go with what the Lord's doing. I mean, we've seen healing revivals where amazing miracles, and he, we've seen uh, these joy, love of God revivals where people would be inundated with laughter, I have never understood why people would get mad if you were laughing joyfully and you did it in church. I've never, like, that's wrong? You can't laugh in church? It's terrible. It's terrible. I think God has a great sense of humor myself. Matter of fact, let me, let me read this while I'm thinking about it. Chris Valentin wrote this the other day. He's uh, one of the Bethel guys. He said, I've never been able to read these verses without tears. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. This is Genesis 6, 6 and 8. But Noah found what? Favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor with God saved the world, and it can save your city. I want to be like Noah, a friend of God who protects the heart of God. Favor can change the mind of God. Wow, what a thought. Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew God's ways. Friends have special privileges. John 15 says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what the father is doing, but I call you what? Friends. Because all things I have heard from a father, I make known to you. I want to know how God thinks so I can think like him. I want to know how to love like he does, feel like he does, and help like he does. I don't want to live by his rules. I want to live with him and in him and let him live in me, through me, and around me. That's pretty good. I long to bring hope to the hopeless and make the joyless laugh. Let me say that again. This is my heart. I long to bring hope to the hopeless and make the joyless person laugh. I really like to make people laugh. This is Chris. This is me too. I like to see him laugh a lot. I think I grew up in so much pain that laughing became a door of hope for me, Chris says. I like to make God laugh too. I want God to enjoy me. I think I entertain him. He told me he thinks I am funny. I think he is, too. I find so much humor in the Bible. Man, I do, too. I really do. If you don't, slap number two. I think God wrote much of it with a smile. So much of the Bible would be understood differently if we could see the expression on his face as he dictated the book. I can hear the father saying to the son, hey, look, here comes Moses to the bush. It's going to be awesome. Let's see how he responds. <laughs> Let's act a little mean because he doesn't know we're not, you know, just so he can disconnect. We'll be, Take your shoes off, boy. <laughs> is that not funny? Sure it is. <laughs> oh. um, let me read that again. So much of the Bible would be understood differently if we could see the expression on his face as he dictated the book. This is my goal in life. To love God as a father and a friend and to learn how to love people like he does. Even people who are unlovely like I was. Those days are over for me. If you knew me, you would love, you would love me. I do. So, does God have a sense of humor? Does God have a sense of humor? He sends an 80 year old man to liberate two million slaves from the most powerful nation on earth who depended on them for the strength of their economy. Is that not funny to you? An 80-year-old man, and then he equips them this way. What do you have in your hand? I, I I have a stick. Okay, there you go. What? No, that's good. That's good. What do you mean? Oh, throw the stick on the ground. He throws his shepherd's staff on the ground. It becomes a serpent. A serpent so frightening to a man who'd been spending 40 years in the wilderness where serpents live that he turned and ran away from him. And then the Lord tells him this. Go pick the serpent up by its tail. How many of you think that's a good idea? So he... Picks the serpent up by its tail and it turns back into a shepherd's staff. This is this is our God I'm talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. This is not some weird. This is God. Here's here's what here's what we'll do, Moses. Just take your stick. That'll well. Is that enough? Well, um, who will I tell? Who will I tell them you are? He says, "Oh, tell them." And he gives him his name, which is Y H W H. You sent me. What? We put consonants in there to make it Jehovah. Cause his real name is not enough for us. We need more. We need something we can, huh? Okay, so let's cover his equipment so far. A stick that turns into a snake in an unpronounceable name. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> if that's not funny, come on. And then he gives him two other signs. He can stick his hand in his coat, pull it out. It's leprous. He can stick it back in there, and it's not. And he can pour water from the Nile on the ground, and it turns into blood. That's, that's what God gives him and sends him on his way. Oh, and, and then Moses says, and I can't talk. And he says, well, uh, I'll get your brother to help you. He can do your talking for you. Now go on. Makes perfect sense to heaven. God has a sense of humor. Now, I was thinking about this. How many of you remember the story of Elijah who prayed that it would not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years? You remember that? Well, the problem was when he prayed that, everybody in the nation wanted to kill him because it didn't rain. And so the Lord, now Elijah is Jewish. Say that with me. Elijah is Jewish. He's a primary adherence to the law. So the Lord sends Elijah to this brook and he feeds him twice a day by sending to Elijah an unclean bird to give him his food. That's not. That, uh. Then, because Elijah's prayer was effective, the water that sustained him dried up. And so he goes to the Lord and he says, what I'm going to do? And the Lord says, ah, oh, man, don't worry. I've got this poor widow woman in this town who's about to die. She will take care of you. So off he goes. He <laughs> off he goes and he finds this widow woman and the widow woman is basically thinking, I got enough to feed me and my child, and then we die. And Elijah says, Hey no, I have a better idea. She said, What's that? night?" remember, he'd been hanging out with the Lord. <laughs> he says, I have a better idea. She said, What's that? Feed me first. <laughs> feed me first. See, when you start hanging out with the Lord, you start thinking like him. And living like him, and if you convince other people to do the same, you can save their lives. Because he says to that widow woman, I'll give you this promise. If you'll feed me, what you have will not run out until you can buy bread at the supermarket again. Come on, that's awesome. I can remember years ago, Donna and I were living by faith, which basically means we were doing everything we could not to beg for money because we were broke and running a church. And I went to this meeting and I think we had like 60 bucks to our name. And they took up this offering and the Lord, and we were, we were couch money people. If you, you never, if you don't know what, you ain't never been broke if you don't understand what couch money is. Couch money means you've been in the cushions collecting the change. And when people came to your house, you made sure they sat in the chair most likely to receive a blessing. (laughs) Couch money. We would buy peanut butter by the little jar. Broke. So I went to this meeting and we were raising up this church and we were believing God and it was awesome and miserable all at the same time I'm there, and they take up the offering, start receive the offering. And the Lord says to me, why don't you throw all your money into the offering? And I looked at my wallet, and I said, I don't know, 60 bucks, whatever. I said, Lord, that's all I got. And he said, it's not much, is it? <laughs> and I hey, we've already received the offering. Any of you suspicious people, don't worry. I'm not getting ready to take one up. I I thought if ever I was going to have to give everything I had, tonight is that night. Bam. Okay, I have given every nickel with a wife and four kids at home. I gave every nickel I had. And I had this tremendous sense of freedom and liberty. It was ridiculous. It was hilarious. I thought this makes no sense, but I feel like really enjoying myself now that I gave away all my family's money. So I get home, and I'm going, ooh, yeah, i got to go home. <laughs> Wonder what I'm going to tell my wife. So I get home, and I say, Don, the most wonderful thing happened tonight to meet him. <laughs> and she said, well, what was that? I said, um, I gave all our money away. I put it in the offering. And she said, well, now, honestly, that woman has never, she's been with me through thick and thin. So don't, don't think she gave me a hard time. She really didn't. But she did say, well, Robin, that's all the money we had. And I said, hanging out with the Lord helps, I said, well, it wasn't much, was it? <laughs> and that seemed to satisfy her. So I've... Then the most amazing thing happened the next day. The only car we had that worked got T-boned On the way to see her mother, and we were almost, we would have been killed if it was a split second. Guy ran a stop sign or whatever. Amazing blessing because when we got the car fixed, we knew a guy that would fix it cheap. We were also two months behind on our house payment. With the settlement, we paid both of our house payments. And from that day, we were never in financial difficulty again. Everything turned around. And see, that's why I'm saying we need to know the Lord. Now, don't go out and try to do what I did, because I didn't go out and try to do what somebody else did, except I knew the Lord, I knew he was talking to me, and I had faith. How many of you need faith? How many of you want some faith? Why don't we ask God for some faith this morning as a way to end this? Why don't we stand up? Man, we're almost right at noon. Somebody ought to be happy about that. First of all, let me say this. Anyone in the room who says you don't have faith, you are currently in an argument with the God who says he has given every man a measure of faith. Don't talk your faith away because you don't think you have it. Why don't you agree with God? So let's do. Father, this morning we agree. Repeat after me for lack of a better method. Lord, this morning we agree with you. We thank you for that measure of faith. We ask that you would increase it. Lord, increase our favor. Give us enough favor to spill out on everybody else around us. Spill out on everybody around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Panthers play at one o'clock. Let's pray they do well. (laughs) Okay, everybody good? It was a little quiet in here this morning. It's okay. No, you, you are not quiet, that's exactly. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for coming. Ministry team. We do have ministry teams today and we'd be glad to pray for you. I forgot anyone here who would like to be prayed for, come up front and we have people who are trained and prepared to minister to you. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week.